Hello and welcome to episode 121 of The Winning Agenda. My name's Jesse Marshall and I'm here with my lovable sidekick, Wilfred A. Horrig. How are you, sidekick? I feel like this is a mystery that we might not get to the bottom of, at least until uh, we get a, a mystery-solving skills sharpened up a little bit by the impending release of Terminal Directive. Yes, um, and assuming that we all survive the impending release of Terminal Directive, you think that that will allow us to uncover the mysteries of whether you are or are not my sidekick? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a it's a murder mystery. There's a biroid, you know. There's definitely a, it's a there's definitely a protagonist and presumably an antagonist. I'm I'm not sure yet, but uh, and it, it all seems very relevant to the current discussion. So perhaps we'll uh, lay that over until then. I think so. Excellent. And and how have you been, Wilfie? You've uh, been snake drafting to your heart's content all over yes. Slack. Um, snake draft, uh, if anyone doesn't know, uh, is now my new favorite thing. And I'm, I've recently finished one. I'm in two more on uh, on Slack. And, my and how did you page, go in the first one? Oh, uh, my techie pages are filled with decks. Um, and in the first one, I went 3-3. So I had a wizard deck that was uh, I had a lot of good support cards, but my economy and my breakers were not very good, which is kind of the opposite of what you want, and I realized this as I was playing my games, wondering what do you mean how by anyone cards? has ever broken anything by playing Sherman, installing Sherman, Shrike, and Black Orchestra, or like in sh- installing Sherman and Shrike before you can actually run anywhere because you don't have any AI, and etc. It was just a bit of a mess. Mm. Uh, so when you when you say you had a lot of support cards but no good economy and mediocre breakers, what are the good support cards you had? Yeah, so my first picks were Parasite, Data Sucker, Medium, or Parasite, Medium, Data Sucker, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just ended up like it was okay when you can Data Sucker and Parasite, but if it's so easy for your opponent to lock you out of Centrals and you when you really have to run just to get Data Sucker counters, it's kind of in, in order to be able to actually get through anything, it's not very sustainable. You really need a breaker suite to consistently get into remotes, especially. Mm, so icebreaker is good for runner. Yes. Um, and and for those uh, of our listeners who haven't participated in a snake draft, which is probably 99.9% of you, uh, a snake draft is a new format that some people on Slack have invented where basically you have eight people and you have a spreadsheet with 20 picks uh, or spaces for picks for those eight players and the players draft cards in order from the entire card pool and the only rules are effectively that you can't draft cards that have already been drafted and you can only include in your deck cards that you draft and cards that nobody else has drafted yeah so it's kind of like uh i think uh it might have been at least popularized by abram although i'm not certain on its provenance but uh, the way it was explained is that basically you're passing around one pack, one enormous pack that contains every card in Netrunner, and you draft cards in playset. Yeah, and it requires quite a bit of foresight, creativity, um, quite a bit of interpreting what your opponents have already picked and therefore what they're likely to pick next um, in terms of what their priorities are likely to be and what the gaps in their current picks are because all the picks are public i guess it's a little bit different to some drafts that people would have participated in in other card games and at first i found that a little bit disconcerting but i think now i've realized uh, after participating in a full snake draft that it was quite skill intensive and and required a lot of thought and analysis what did you think yeah we we both 
uh, completed the drafting portion of one that we did with Australians. So uh, Australians, and New Zealanders, we should New say. Zealanders, <laughs> yes. um, although I'm sure we'll claim them as honorary Australians at some point. And before you go on there, I should uh, do a little shout out for our friends over at ANR New Zealand who are organising a tournament to try and essentially crowdfund some New Zealanders to go to Worlds. And they're not just asking for money, they're offering a really, really cool online tournament. It's going to be at Australia and New Zealand hours, so probably not great for people unless you're night owls in the in europe or in the us uh, but for any of you in australia and new zealand do check it out over at the ANRNZ page um, there's some really really cool custom id prizes i think they've been described as punk ids uh, one of them is in fact max maximum punk rock but the the style of the art is really really cool um, and there's FFG's also thrown in some really cool prizes, I think, as well. Um, some Wall of Statics and a Chaos Theory from the from the archives. So uh, some good chance, a, a good chance for Australians and New Zealanders to get their hands on some of those rarer prizes. Uh, are you going to be participating in that wonderful tournament, Wilfred? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's called the uh, Australia and New Zealand. Uh, the acronym is ANZAC, I know that much. Mm. Um, so you'll be able to find it easily, and we'll link it in the show notes below. Fantastic. Uh, and, and getting quickly back to Snake Draft, have you played? You said you've played through three rounds with your first Snake Draft decks. So your your, your runner deck was Wizard that you ended up with, and what was your corp deck? Oh yeah, so my corp deck was a Sync. Um, I had Hard Hitting News and Sensei. Like my deck was pretty good. I think I had got. Breaking news, GFI. GFI was my first pick, and then I got breaking news on the wheel. Um, and then I managed to pick up hard hitting news and Sensi next, which are kind of, um, in the, like, I think the only NBN cards, I mean, I was missing some NBN cards, obviously, because no one can have them all, but in terms of the cards for the tag storm strategy, like, revolving around hard hitting news, um, those are the main ones. Yeah, so my second deck was a sync deck. Um, I had Hard Hitting News, Breaking News, GFI, and Sensi Actors Union, which are some of the strongest ambient cards for the tag storm strategy, I think. Um, yeah. And especially with sync, Hard Hitting News is especially powerful, as everyone already knows. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you were saying you missed out on exchange of information, which is obviously good with the aforementioned Breaking News and GFI. Yeah, so I figured I'd probably, um, no one else could probably afford to put exchange of information in the deck with, without breaking news or GFI, but the other NBN drafter had restructured data pool and quantum predictive model, which I think, you know, makes a reasonable approximation. Yeah, definitely. It's a one pointer and a three pointer. Uh huh. Um, and both work with tags, especially. Yeah, so you unfortunately got sharked out on that one. Yeah, although I left it too late, I should have realized that, you know, it was powerful enough that it was worth crafting a strategy to make it good. Yeah, and I think that that is really the essence of what makes the drafting portion of Snake Draft fun. Like, I I went really hard and signaled early in my first picks in our AN, uh, Australia-New Zealand Snake Draft. I took um, Engineering the Future and Wizard, so no one was under any illusions as to what I was playing. Yeah. Uh, and that worked out okay. Um, I figured that less people would be playing HB, so just signaling that I was going to be playing HB would scare other people out of it because more people, you would think, would play MBN, and that sort of turned out to be true. There were three MBN players, two Jinteki players, one Whalen player, and it turned out two HB players, and we were both at opposite ends of the draft, the first and the eighth player. Um, 
so that meant that we both sort of got the two HB players got a lot of time to think about um, what the other one was likely to pick. And we just essentially carved the HB card pool in half, which was kind of cool. Um, but there were a few picks where the Wayland player who was sitting next to me took some cards that I really wanted right before I was about to take them. Like I had a little list running um, written down of the next cards in order that I was going to pick. And at least three times uh, the next card on my list was taken by that player. Things like Ash got taken right before I was about to take it. Um, accelerated Diagnostics. I was kind of, I thought, subtly building up to Accelerated Diagnostics Hasty. Um, but then unfortunately, the pick where I was going to eventually take Accelerated Diagnostics someone two seats to my right took power shutdown and then accelerated diagnostics got hated right before I took it. So I was pretty frustrated with that. But yeah, I think that, um, that tension about how late you let things go around is really, really fun. And I, I quite enjoyed that snake drafting process. How would you rate snake draft after your first couple, Wilfie? Yeah, I think it's really fun. I honestly highly recommend that everyone who can get, um, seven other people together try it just because it's you can do it in a spreadsheet so you know honestly you can take as much time as you want like you can do it asynchronously if you want you don't have to all be online at the same time and you know it takes a while but if you just um there's no need to rush it and it lets if you take it slow it lets you think a bit more about your picks especially it can be a bit daunting you know having the choice to um draft literally any card in netrunner and but I found that really tests like a lot of interesting things, like your deck building fundamentals. Just because you, especially as runner, but as corp as well, you often have to use um, strategies that you're not very familiar with, just because that's the way the cards shake out if you want to draft a deck that's powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like trying to work out, you know, even if these two cards haven't gone together before, like what synergizes with them and you know as a runner you need card draw you need uh credit acquisition you need breakers of probably all three types and you need some way you know to s disrupt your opponent but how you're going to do that is really open so yeah like for instance the main economy engine in my wizard deck is magnum opus <laughs> which i've never seen used as the economy engine in a wizard deck before but we'll see how um, it turns out yeah, and in my last wizard deck, uh, I, as I said, left it a bit too late to get economy. And I had Katie, which was obviously an all-star. Like, Katie was so good for me that draft that I took her with my first pick in the next draft I did. Mm. Um, but I also had Armitage, Code Busting, and Peace in Our Time. Those were my three economy cards, which is a bit of a weird mix. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and probably. No, you go. Yeah, probably something you'd not see ever. And constructed. No, and yeah, so that that's always been the joy of draft is that you get to put together a lot of different decks that you never would play ordinarily. So we, we highly recommend it, and we'll put some, hopefully some uh, a link to a spreadsheet in the show notes so you can all check out what a completed snake draft looks like and then think about constructing your own. Uh, we should probably move on to the main topic for today now, which is the second half of our Station 1 review. So last time around, which was now two episodes ago, I think, because we had the extra special Michael Boggs interview last week about the new MWO, which if you haven't checked out, I suggest you do check out. Um, we did the corpse side first a couple of weeks ago, and now we're going to do the runner side. Uh, so we're taking a dive back to the first half of the pack, and we're starting with Severnia Stim Implant. It's a, an Anarch Hardware Cybernetics 2 to install for Influence. 
It reads, click, make a run on R&D or HQ and trash two more cards from your grip. Two or more cards from your grip, I should say. Whenever you access cards from that server, access one additional card for every two cards trashed. So if you go for some sort of bag biter, big grip combo, you can access a whole lot of R&D, Wolfie. It's also a run ability on a hardware, which we haven't really seen before, I don't think. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a weird card. I sort of see it like halfway between Turning Wheel and Faust. Like, it wants you to run very in very small amounts, but impactfully. So it's the opposite of Turning Wheel, but also requires you to have lots of unnecessary cards in your hand, like Faust. But I think the payoff is not as great as Faust in the sense that it doesn't, primarily it doesn't, help you at all getting into remotes and also kind of fights for Faust fights I guess with Faust mm. for your critical resource of cards in hand to let you do things um, and the fact that it doesn't really do anything unless you want to trash cards from your hand at the start of the run which is not always the best strategy um, especially against decks that are going to potentially deal you mid run net or meat damage or just decks where you need to have a high hand size at the end of your turn to avoid that sort of threat um, makes it a bit inflexible, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I'm not sure if the rate is there to make it strong just because you have to trash four cards. Like, of course, I understand that's the hardware that sits there, but you have to trash four cards um, to get a legwork or a maker's eye. Is that good, though, for zero influence in Anarch, rather than having to import the central server threat, which is sort of something you've had to spend your influence on, with the exception of Medium? I mean, you have Nerve Agent, which is, like, okay. I mean, I do Condensing them into one powerful. card, though, right, is good, and that's what Anarchs have sort of wanted to do. Yeah, but I still feel like you want Medium. Like, Medium is too good not to play, I True. think. Um, And so... So maybe Nerve yeah, Agent is better than this, but this allows you to have that HQ threat then without taking up mem slots? I don't know. Um, you just think the yeah, power level's the, not there? The thing is that, I don't know, it's kind of hard to justify it when I can't... One, it locks you out from playing fast, I, I feel, mm -hmm. which maybe is not too big a deal under the new MWL, but um, you know, it's still an issue just because fast is so strong. And it's kind of like you, even if you start with five cards in hand, draw a card, or play some thing, a quality time on your first, oh, if you quality time in your first click, that actually seems pretty sweet, but just without any special things, if you draw a card on your first click, then use your second click to do that, that's kind of your whole turn and next turn, like, I feel like you would sort of really have to build around this in a way that you would with Faust in the sense that you have lots of ways to draw cards and lots of ways to recur your cards, but this sort of already requires you to be set up, um, and if you're set up that you can get into every server, I kind of would prefer medium or nerve agent. Like, what about, though, the, the fact that this can give you potentially a lot of accesses from R&D without, without requiring you to have made any previous successful runs in R&D? Because that is 
one problem with Medium in Anarch, particularly in a Faustless Anarch that has a little more difficulty getting into servers, is that once your Medium's on zero counters, and you know, Chris uh, Dyer played Progenitor for this reason, that starting your Medium on zero counters in the mid game just really sucks. Like, it can be really hard to get up to the point where you're making enough accesses to give you a decent shot at winning the game if you go into that mode where you're racing them with R&D accesses and allowing them to score out of a remote, uh, which happens semi-often in Anarch. Um, this instead gives you the ability to construct a deck that can play this, make one run, and access, you know, 10 cards without having made any previous runs. That seems like a pretty interesting sort of gambit for a runner deck to be able to make. Wolfie... Do you think that the potential to access a large number of cards without having made previous runs on R&D makes this worth consideration in any sort of like yeah, bad like, hyperdriver sort of combo deck? Definitely those sort of effects are really powerful. And um, recently I played against on Jinteki uh, Bookmark, a sort of evolution of those kind of decks which played Bookmark. Um and out of the ashes, Faust Apocalypse. Yeah. So the plan was to, you know, bookmark up a bunch of, just do nothing for the first infinite turns, like those decks usually do. Um, then bookmark up a, a lot of cards, then discard three out of the ashes, and eventually use Hyperdriver, play Faust, um, unload your bookmark, use out of the ashes to run Apocalypse, and then keyhole and keyhole and encore until your opponent's dead. So like those sort of things I think are potentially very powerful just because that's a very strong uninteractive strategy like assuming that your opponent doesn't score 7 points fast enough there's not that much that you can do about it given that um, using Faust, you know you have a lot of cards to dish with Faust and you only need to make 3 runs on central so it's impossible for the corp to keep you out strictly with ice strength. Yep. Um, so I think this could potentially fill a similar role. Um, but I'm, as I said before, I, I'm a bit wary that, like, you already have a lot of ways to use, like, the resources that this card uses, which is cards in your hand. Um, more than runs, like you can make few runs, very impactful runs, but I feel like there are already lots of ways in those kind of decks to use the cards in your hand for good effect, like not necessarily with Faust, but even the decks that don't use Faust want to get many combo pieces in play, like Hyperdrivers, False Echoes, and Clone Chips, and so it's kind of hard to justify getting enough cards in your hand that you can do that. Okay. Like, but... You know, I'm still, maybe, I, I still think there's potential, um, but I'm not sure that the rate is strong enough. But I look forward to be proven wrong there. Mm, uh, definitely an interesting one to consider, and all of the dirty combo lords of the world are probably salivating over this right now and brewing all sorts of degenerate decks to try against us, so I look forward to that experience in the future. Clan Vengeance is the next card. It's a 3 to install, 4 influence Anarch resource. Whenever you suffer any amount of damage, place one power counter on Clan Vengeance. Trash, trash one card from HQ at random for each power counter on Clan Vengeance. So they hurt you, 
and then sometime in the future, you hurt them by trashing cards at random from HQ. What are your thoughts on this, Wilfie? For me, just to preface, random trashes from HQ are something that's been pretty rare in the game, which is probably a good thing. It's been priced pretty highly. Um, This is probably the most cost-efficient version of that effect that we've seen. The shard was like pretty expensive and quite limited in terms of was it Eden Shard? I can't remember. Anyway. Um Utopia, Utopia Shard. Shard um that did had this effect. Um trashing cards at HQ from random, I guess, has two benefits. One is disrupting combos and one is giving you potential random accesses on agendas. What are your thoughts on this sort of effect? I feel like if you're gonna play a card like this, you need at least some way to deal damage to yourself. Yep. Just because I don't like it's not a very good it doesn't actually protect you from any damage, so if you're going to put this in your deck, it's a bit hard to justify using it as like a card that you're expecting to play only against damage decks, just because usually a card that prevents damage and stymies the corpse win condition will be more effective in that particular scenario. But as a sort of mid-to-late-game engine card, when you have the potential to deal yourself incidental damage over the course of the game, I think could be good. Like, it still has the issue that you have to draw it pretty early for it to start charging up counters, but um, in the sense that it does have a very powerful effect if you can get a couple instances of damage on yourself, then it is fairly strong in that regard. Mm. Like, you know, any card which for a relatively low or like feasible cost to pay during the game lets you trash your corpse the corpse whole hand relatively easily I think has to be looked at even if you do have to build your whole deck around it and include cards like um, Nets, Ready Eyes, ready yeah. eyes or etc et or the um, uh, like other cards like that basically or some way to I'm just thinking if there's any way to like ensure that your opponent can deal you damage, but I don't think so. No. Um, but I guess it also, if you build your deck so that you have a few ways to trigger this and can pretty consistently get it up to five, and then there are going to be some decks in the metagame that have ways to deal you small amounts of damage. I mean, Juntechi decks, if we say that there are I don't know, a fifth of the metagame or maybe slightly less, you know, that you've got that small upside in those matchups as well. That's okay, I think, considering that the, as long as you're consistently able to get it up to five counters yourself and, and trash their whole hand in a timely fashion. I think you, as you said, the power level of that ability in, alone is, is high enough. And then if you've got some upside in those Jinteki matchups or other sort of thousand cuts matchups whatever faction they may be in uh that's kind of good as well um the next card in the pack is counter surveillance it's another clan resource it's an anarch resource one to play it is it has one ability that is click and trash make a run if successful instead of accessing pay x credits to access up to x cards from this server if able X is the number of tags you have. So you have to pay X, so you have to pay the amount equal to the number of tags you have, and then you can access up to that many cards, if able, from the server. Uh, 
I guess that's kind of good. That seems pretty similar to Severnia Stim Implant. Although, how does it work on central servers? Access X cards from this server. So on R&D... So you just... It's like a medium yeah. or whatever. Right? Okay. Yeah, it's, it has the same wording of me, as medium. So, you know, if you have six tags, you access six cards. So, you know, I think it's quite a powerful payoff in decks that, like siphon decks basically, or other decks that want, that can gain, give themselves large numbers of tags through Joshua B, etc. Um, so I think that it definitely has a very real shot of seeing play in those mm. decks, especially since, like, unlike Savernia's Stim Implant, you don't really have to lose any of the resources, you just have to accumulate tags over the course of the game, and as long as it, you can find this card, you know, before the game's over, eventually you'll just see, you'll be able to see 10 cards from R&D or whatever, which is just, a, I think, a very strong yeah, payoff. Yeah, it's pretty absurd, as long as you can pay the 10 credits and get in, but I mean, considering the way the game's balanced, and I think you mentioned this the first time around with Savannah's Steam Implants, that the way that ice is balanced is that it doesn't keep the runner out, it just makes it, over the course of the game, cumulatively expensive to keep making runs, so the corp has to bait the runner to make runs like to make additional superfluous runs in order to be able to open scoring windows and decks like diaper get around that by being non-interactive and not taking that bait and knowing that their payoff at the end of getting their combo off is strong enough that they're very likely to win the game if they get to that point and this card is another one that gives the runner rather than something like medium that requires you to consistently be loading it up and making lots of runs and therefore gives the corp obvious counterplay with cards that most corps have in their deck being ice this doesn't really afford the corp that opportunity because they have to have some sort of powerful tag punishment in order to have any counterplay against this, really. Um, otherwise, the the um, runner player can just accumulate tags and know that at some point they can unload a whole lot of credits into this and give themselves a really good shot at winning the game in one go. Yeah, I think the one thing to note is that this card, we may be talking about this card a little late since it doesn't work with Eater, meaning you have to sort of basically play it with Faust, which means you probably want Blackmail, Obelisk, Envisant, yeah. etc. in your deck, um, which may or may not still be playable, we'll see. Yeah. So, an- another um, certainly another but, piece in the Degenerate mm-hmm. engine. Yeah, like the card in itself is very strong, it's just uh, the new MWL came down very hard on this type of deck. Good thing too, I think. Um, The next card in the pack is Mobius. It is an event run, cost zero, influence one. It's the first Krim card. Um, Did uh, Did you want to say something else about Counter Surveillance? No, no, I think just the search that I have doesn't have Mobius next. It has Customized Secretary next, but that's fine. Oh, Station 124. Okay, cool, cool. Okay. Never mind. so Mobius reads, make a run on R&D. I'll just start again. The next card in the pack is Mobius. It's the first Crim card. It's an event run, cost zero, influence one. Make a run on R&D. If successful, you may make another run on R&D when this run ends. If the second run is successful, gain four credits, that is. 
now this is quite similar to another Shaper card that was released recently, um, which I think had pretty much exactly the same ability but didn't gain you four. Um, what are your thoughts on Mobius? Yeah, so I think this card is a a bit a lot less flexible than Dirty Laundry, but in exchange, it's a bit more powerful. Um, in the sense that it gives you potentially two successful run triggers, which can be absurd as, you know, in criminal decks with uh, Desperado, Temujin, um, Data Sucker, etc. All of the above, basically. Um, but unlike Dirty Laundry, you can't play it for payoff. Like, you can't just dump it on an empty server just to get credit. So I see it more as a mid-game engine card to synergize with Temujin, as opposed to, like, laundry, which you can use for money more flexibly during the game. Yeah, but the ability to make two runs on R&D with Temujin and gain four as opposed to the net three from laundry, it seems pretty good. Yeah, I think so too. Like, definitely, especially in any deck with medium um, or the turning wheel, I would, I could definitely see playing this card as sort of another piece in your suite of early to mid-game economy that also helps your game plan into the long game, like it gives you accesses and it can charge up the things that you need when it's still easy to unload yep. them, like, you know, before, it, it lets you get a boost of money from your Temujin before it becomes um, disproportionately difficult to do so. Um, and the fact that it costs zero and you can play Temujin and then use this Temujin and R&D use this on turn two. Uh, I mean, even on turn one of the game, I think, makes it uh, definitely a consideration for inclusion in any deck with enough successful run triggers. Great. I think that pretty much sums that up. The next card in the pack is Loss Data Hijacker. It's an identity criminal subtype Gmod. Link zero, deck 45, influence 15. For the first time, sorry, the first time the Corp raises a piece of ice each turn, gain two credits. So it's a one-time two-credit gain each turn, similar to Gabe. Uh, you don't have to make a successful run on a particular server. Um, so, I mean, all the other stats being the same as Gabe, 0, Link, 45, 15, just comparing the two abilities. Uh, it seems like in the early to mid-game this might trigger, I don't know, about the same number of times as Gabe. Um, but maybe a little bit more flexible in terms of how you uh, trigger it and how you design your deck. What are your thoughts, Wolfie? Yeah, I think that compared to Gabe, because I think that's a pretty apt comparison, it's a bit worse in that the corp gets to decide when whether you mm. get your money or not, like compared to Gabe where, you know, mostly it was the runner who decided wh whether you wanted to run HQ, um, but also as an upside to loss, um, loss's ability doesn't necessarily require you to run on any particular server to get the money. So, yeah, as you said, it's more flexible in that you can sort of carry out your game plan a bit better while still getting the triggers from losses ability. And part of the problem for Gabe um, was that in the core set and early Genesis cycle, pretty much all of Crim's threats were focused on HQ. So forcing the Corp to defend HQ 
and being able to threaten HQ and get more, even more benefit from it was kind of pretty good because once you did get in, you were able to do things like shut down, siphon, whatever else, and they were sort of the most impactful cards in the game. Whereas now, crims really do want to focus on remotes and R&D as well, um, and they have the tools sort of to be able to do that. So the fact that loss helps you to defray the cost of doing that in the same way that Gabe helps to defray the cost of focusing on HQ, does that make loss more of a, a crim for the new age? Yeah, I think that's a very good point, that um, now that you have Temujin, security testing, that sort of thing, you really want to spread out in order to get maximum benefit. And now Mobius, like, in order to get maximum benefit from your economy cards, you really want to focus on the least guarded server. Um, criminal runs have been, yeah become a lot less HQ-focused um, over the course of the the design of the game, I think. Um, and so having an identity that can give you a bonus even when it's not profitable to run HQ at all, I think, is strong. But the fact that Lost is so similar to Gabe, um, and Gabe, I think, is probably only the third best criminal ID at the moment um, still makes it hard to see that loss will fit into a niche that the uh, the better two criminals don't really give you just because loss's ability and is so generic. And those two are Andy and Leela. Yeah. Leela, I yeah. think, in my opinion. I think that's probably accurate. Although, I think it's worth pointing out that Andy's ID ability basically reads you can get the sort of benefit you get from loss or Gabe, but you get it on turn one, which is the reason why a lot of people play Andy, but Andy is going to be rotating soon. So Leela doesn't give you that economy boost and can run into some difficulties if she's not able to snowball. It's very much a tempo ID that requires on that requires you to disrupt the corpse game plan and have successful runs and be stealing agendas at particular points in the game in order to sustain your economy and keep your game plan rolling. In the absence of having a more all-around general economy-focused crim ID once Andy rotates, do you think Loss could fill that breach? Yeah, I think so. Like, um, the fact that, yeah, Loss's ability is a lot more generic than Gabe's and doesn't require you to focus on any particular server um, means that if you just want an economy ID in your sort of uh, good stuff criminal deck, Loss, I think, would be a fairly good fit just because you really don't need to put any particular cards in your deck to make losses ability cool. good the next card in the pack is system seizure it's the first shaper card it's an event current cost zero influence one it's got the current text and then it says the first icebreaker whose strength you increase each turn does not return to its base strength until the end of the run so it's only the first one each turn and they all gain that sort of gordian blade type ability or not all the first one each turn that you use does um now it's worth pointing out that a lot of icebreaker strength abilities can be used out of sync so even if you are running and you have a gordian blade and a corroder and the first ice you encounter is a, um, a code gate you can still pump the corroder's strength to um trigger this even though you're not encountering a barrier and because of this it will retain that strength until the end of the run so 
I guess that's one thing running in this card's favor is that the breaker that you want the strength increased on doesn't have to correspond to the outermost piece of ice in order for you to get the benefit from this card. Uh, but I personally don't find the Gordian Blade ability to be particularly useful in a large percentage of games. So I don't think that I would play a current that only granted that ability to an icebreaker. What are your thoughts, Wilfie? Yeah, I sort of feel a similar way. Like, I'm not sure what rigs... Like, it's sort of the, the problem with the card Snowball, right? Like, Snowball is like, oh wow, it seems like this ability could actually do something in helping your Snowball be more efficient, but it do, how often does it happen that you have small ice, then bigger ice, then even bigger ice of one type in the server? Basically like, never. Yeah, like, the fact that this card doesn't do anything unless you're running on a server that has multiples of one ice, and also both ice require your icebreaker to be pumped, I think those conditions make it hard to justify putting this card in your deck, just because of how difficult deck slots are mm. to find like on cards which are so situational and even in that situation it's sort of just like an economy card yeah most you might of the as time. well just run uh, cold read or something at that point yeah so i'm not sure although i guess it is a zero cost shape of current if you really need to break um cerebral static or something like that i don't I can't think of any zero cost. No, there's no shape of current. Use one cost, but yeah, yeah. So, so I suppose it does. You know, given that we've seen enforced curfew even in decks without any hand size interaction, that I think mm. should be pointed out. Yep. The next card in the pack is Customized Secretary. It's another shape of card. It's a program two to install, one memory, two influence. When you install Customized Secretary, reveal the top five cards of the stack. You may host any number of revealed programs from your stack on Customized Secretary. Shuffle your stack. Click Install a Hosted Program, paying all install costs. So for this measly sum of two credits, you get to dig five, potentially install more than one program on this, and then sorry, host, and then install those programs for a click, paying all costs. You can't re-trigger the install ability, so the, the look at the top five. So really, that's sort of a one-off dig that costs you two credits and a click, really, because you're not saving anything at the other end. I'm not really sure how this can possibly compete with SMC, or even test run for that matter. What are your thoughts, Wilfie? Well, I mean, you know, I, I suppose it's sort of, we're going to be saying this until rotation actually happens, that test run, etc. will rotate soon, but SMC clone ship won't. But I still feel like this was, might was have a chance. Was test run not in I think control? originally... When... In... No, I think, I think oh, it was in Genesis. I think yeah. it's in... Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah. we can just edit that out if if it turns out that I was wrong. <laughs> um, but I think that this actually has a chance in more in 
program focused like slow shaper decks like um those sort of decks always seem to need more effects that draw cards and like diesel quality time and even sometimes they even play more like decks with hyperdriver leprechaun and all those other things like trying to have some mega turn yep. basically and i like the fact that this only costs you one memory when it's in play and can host you know, hyperdrivers, etc., until you need them, so it's not like... I think that's the main benefit it has. Wait, hyperdrive isn't rotating, is it? Nope. Yeah. yeah, I think that's probably the main benefit this card has over something like S- SMC. Yeah, and it helps with those sequencing um, issues in those decks where sometimes playing your quality time can flood your hand with programs you can't really play that turn, etc. Yeah, I feel like in... Very program-heavy decks, especially playing Kate or Haley. this card gives you a bit of a smoother time in setting up than quality time might, just because you don't have to play Bookmark to hide the cards, even though you usually need most of the cards in your deck mm. in your hand. Um, but on the other hand, it also requires you to have a fairly high density yeah. of programs. You can just whiff, but also you could just hit one program, at which point you've spent... Two in two credits and a click to not really achieve much. I don't know. Yeah, I think for it to be good, you'd really have to be hitting at least two and usually three programs, which is pretty hard, but it's not impossible. Like, yeah. Yep. Um. Also, one last thing is that it's good with pawn shop as opposed to SMC because or... you still get to pawn this at the end of the day. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that is that is worth pointing out. Cool. Uh, so that brings us to the end of the Shaper cards. The final runner card in the pack is a neutral card, which has caused some consternation, which we won't go into. You can check out the famous Facebook page, Netrunner Dorks, if you'd like some more um, information on that particular controversy. But it's called Build Script. It's a neutral event, cost zero, influence one. It reads, gain one credit and draw two cards. So for zero cost... A click and a card, you can gain a credit and draw two cards. So as opposed to your normal gain a credit action, you're drawing two additional cards, but you're having to spend a card and have spent some portion of a click up to one click to draw that card, i.e. the build script. I'm not really sure how this is worth an influence. What are your thoughts, Wolfie? Yeah... The fact that it's a neutral one influence economy card, or a neutral economy card that costs, means that it has some pretty stiff competition. Like, Peace in Our Time and Lucky Find are yep. both extremely good. Um, and this, I think, compared to in faction options, like, is just not as good. Like, I think most of the time it is better than Easy Mark, but if you're playing Easy Mark in your deck, it's because you need to be able to gain credits from zero credits, so this doesn't really help you Mm. do that like because it draws cards at the time where you like if you think that the zero to play cost is going to be a benefit then you're going to have to play this card a lot when you don't have very many credits and that means that cards are probably the last thing you need so that doesn't doesn't really help in making it more like that the fact that cost zero isn't really a benefit for the ability that provides. Yeah, so the faction that 
drawing cards is probably of the most benefit is Crim because both Anarch and Shaper have some pretty powerful draw options and dig options. In Crim, could this be good given that they have a lot of cheap ways to gain credits but not necessarily cheap ways to gain cards? I don't, like, I would find it really hard to put this card in my deck over quality quality time, even yeah. in criminal decks. Like, just that the fact that this, you play it and then you're not really much closer to doing what you want to do, which is to find the cards that will progress your game plan. Yeah, and- like, sure, it puts you up credits versus down credits, but if, you know criminals have ample ways to gain credits, especially now with Temujin, that you'd much rather have the click compression of quality time that let, lets you draw five cards with one click rather than only yeah, two cards. and I think for me, the fact that you have to spend... If you're in a criminal deck where you're more likely to be spending a click to draw a card, to draw each card, this becomes even worse. Like, I think the efficiency of your existing card draw options in your deck is proportional to how good this card is or inversely proportional so mm-hmm, if you have if your deck already has good ways to draw cards then this card is more efficient because you're more likely to be able to draw it spending less of a click to draw it but it's also likely to be less good because you've already got good ways to draw cards um, and I think that yeah. and the opposite is true so I think that really hurts the card's playability and it makes it more likely that index where you actually want it it's got that worst of diesel feeling, which is that to play diesel, you have to draw the diesel and play the diesel, and then you're getting three cards, so you're effectively only drawing one card because the click you spent drawing diesel, you could have been drawing a card. The click you spent playing diesel, you could have been drawing a card. This is worse than that because the click you spend drawing it, you could be drawing a card. The click you spend playing it, you could be drawing a card. So really all you're gaining at that point in the deck is one credit which is a pretty low return for a card. I mean, you can't really yeah, get much I more don't than that, can you? Think that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, I, I don't think this card is especially cool. strong. Uh, so, unfortunately, we go out on a little bit of a low note there uh, for Station 1, but I think that the runner side of the pack actually had a few more options than I thought that will um, certainly push the boundaries of playability, if not uh, become quite powerful plays in the metagame given the right conditions. What are your thoughts on the on the runner side of the pack and then the pack as a whole, Wilfie? Yeah, I feel like now that we're coming into this point of the game, we really have to start looking at rotation like as a thing that's impending rather than as a thing that's... Uh, possibly going to mm. happen sometime in the future and that really leaves a lot of room for cards which are just I think one layer below the current top tier of runners yep. and cops to become good and some of these cards you think are that um, just because lots uh huh yeah like I think in general like most of the cards that we talk about or at least the large percentage of the cards that we're going to talk that we talk about are, you know, good for some strategy, but it's hard to tell whether that strategy is going to be good enough yep. to make the card playable, right? And and as the card pool decreases in size drastically upon rotation, the likelihood that that strategy is going to be playable increases quite significantly. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think we really have to think about that when looking at new cards, and I'm excited to see where that yeah, leads. Yeah, so, up. I mean, I think Sivania, Steam Implant, Clan Vengeance, Counter Surveillance, Mobius, and Loss all have potential to fit into that category and to, to see tournament play in the future. Um, and on the corp side of the pack, uh, I think we were probably a bit down on quite a few of the cards, um, and I'd probably stand by that, having tested a few more of them. I don't think there's anything terribly exciting in this pack, but I do think MCA Informant is one that we didn't spend heaps of time talking about its regular mode, non-corporate troubleshooter, last time, and I've been testing it as a counter to Aaron Moran and Yellow decks that are looking to use the ta- sort of tag punishment that we saw rampant at Worlds being exchange of information, boom, um, and closed accounts. And I think having being, having the ability to play the MCA informant on the Aaron after you've scored some early breaking users is a really great way to turn the game back in your favor, I think. Um, and it just gives you a way to deal with Aaron, mm-hmm. essentially, rather than just folding to the early Aaron. Yeah, I think so, too. I've been playing it in a... I've been messing around a little bit with a harpsichord deck, um, like a really hardcore boom deck. Um, and the, uh, just because I think that those kind of decks wouldn't be playable without MCA Informant, and it really cool. makes a big difference. And that is a good segue into next episode, where we're going to be discussing some post-MW de- um, MWL decks that we've put into... We, uh, that is a very good segue into the next episode where we're going to be discussing some post-MWL decks that we've all been putting together. Uh, so look forward to that on the airwaves, hopefully sometime early next week. And until then, you can check us out on Facebook at The Winning Agenda. You can tweet us at Winning Agenda. You can send us an email to thewinningagenda at gmail.com. If you want to throw a few dollars our way and get some sweet rewards and become part of our fantastic Patreon supporters Facebook group, you can head along to www.patreon.com slash thewinningagenda and throw a few dollars our way. Uh, and on that note, we'll shout out first of all to our Patreon supporters this week. Thank you all for your continued support. And also to our wonderful editor, Ricky Alexis Rivera, who uh, every single week turns up, edits our podcast, and puts a whole lot of love into it. And we really appreciate him taking the time to do that. So thanks to you, Ricky, once again. Yes. Uh, basically, what you're listening to is... Um, the reason it sounds good is <laughs> mostly because of him. We, we do a little bit, but not as much as you might think. Awesome. Uh, so thanks, Wilfie, for coming along. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye, thanks for listening.